Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to a special edition mini-series that we're doing here on FNO InsureTech. We are doing a three-part series on the next normal in the InsureTech world, and we're thrilled and honored to do it in conjunction with Kesne and our friend Jen Byrne from Kesne, who, along with Lee Boyd, will be co-hosting the three episodes that you're going to be hearing over the next three weeks. We wanted to look at three different groups and their unique perspectives on what's going on in the insurance world today. Yeah, we're going to have some really exciting guests. Our first episode is going to be with the insured techs. The second episode will be visiting with some carriers. And then the third episode is going to be visiting with investors. We're going to get to talk about what they were working on before the COVID pandemic and then we're going to get to talk about how it changed and what are you looking at now and what happened to the companies? Are you still going down the same track or are you pivoting? And I'm very excited to be here uh, with Jen. Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about Kisne and kind of what we're focusing on here? Thanks, Lee. And thanks, Rob, so much for the partnership and bringing visibility and the opportunity to hear from a lot of different voices in the industry. Just by way of quick background, Kesne, we started female founders in InsureTech to specifically recognize, reward, and support women-led startups with solutions in the insurance industry. And part of the reason we chose insurance is, number one, we noticed that there was a lack of diversity uh, within the insurance and carriers, but then also there was a lot of opportunity to change that and also address a large percent of the population's needs as customers. So the combination of tech and insurance and bringing all those great minds together has led us to find some really great solutions and encourage and see a number of partnerships emerge between these insure techs and the investors and the corporate uh, partners who've been involved over the last three years. So like Jen and Lee said, we had a unique opportunity based on what's happening in the world today and based on several of the contacts that Jen and Kesne have to bring together a wide range of very interesting, very talented people who are involved in startups, who are involved at carriers, who are involved in the venture community, and to just pick their brains about what they're seeing, what they're doing, and uh, the impacts of today. So, Without further ado, we'll just go forward into episode number one. Today's episode is with InsureTex, and we have two wonderful guests with us, Farron Blank, founder and CEO of Jerry, and Laura Kornhauser, co-founder and CEO of Stratify. And Jen, why don't you tell us about those two people and what they do? So each of those two entrepreneurs, each of them is tackling very interesting challenges in the industry. Farron, who, by the way, is a longtime partner of Kesme's of Female Founders InsureTech, was one of the first sponsors in his capacity at RGAX, which is terrific. 
he is working on a very interesting solution to address the information gap and knowledge sharing within the elder care world. And his timing couldn't be better with what we've experienced looking through the lens of nursing homes and what has gone on with the elderly vulnerable population during COVID. So it will be really exciting for the audience to hear what, what Farron has been working on to solve real problems. Laura is also addressing a big need in um, looking at the importance of data, structured data, but then also removing the bias within AI and the utilization of data. So the, I think the audience will hear about a lot of interesting situations and use cases that Laura and Stratify are, are going to be addressing with their solutions. So both of these companies, coincidentally, are deep in the thick of issues that are going on today. Stratify with the issue of justice and equality in, in our country and around the world for that matter. And Jerry involved in nursing homes and elder care across our country. And both are big issues today. And so we're thrilled to have them on and thrilled to have you be a part of it. So without further ado, let's get into episode one of our special edition with Farron Blank and Laura Kornhauser. Hey, everybody. We are here with our very special guests. We have a bunch of people on the podcast today. There's myself, Rob Beller, Lee Boyd, Jen Byrne, who will be acting as the hosts today. And we have our two special guests, Farron Blank from Jerry and Laura Kornhauser from Stratify. And we're just going to jump right in and ask these two brilliant and creative people to introduce their companies. Farron, Laura, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. Great. Thanks, Rob. Farron, why don't we start with you? You, during these COVID times, are right in the middle of things, right in the thick of things with Jerry and, and what your company does. So why don't you take a minute and introduce to our audience what Jerry is and what it's about? Yeah, no, definitely. So Jerry, we're a venture-backed New York City-based technology company where we're helping seniors navigate all the complexities around their own long-term care. So we do that using data science as well as licensed experts, social workers, and registered nurses to help come up with personalized care plans for seniors. So that ranges from choosing the right senior living community, whether it's a nursing home or assisted living community, to also handling their financial well-being, so wills, estates, and insurance coverage. Okay, Laura, what about you? Tell us about Stratify. Thank you so much, Rob. So Stratify offers a truly transparent AI-powered decisioning platform that bridges the gap between expert systems and advanced machine learning technology. We are focused on helping regulated institutions make more informed decisions at scale. So decisions like who to lend to or who to investigate for a potential fraud. The flexible approach at the heart of our solution enables for very accurate yet transparent evaluation and very importantly also helps users proactively identify and mitigate bias in models. Uh, this is something that we're, we're very passionate about as an organization on and, and very focused on. And also really figuring out ways that we can enhance 
access to these advanced modeling tools and allow folks that have different levels of skill sets to be able to leverage the power of this technology in an understandable and trustworthy manner. Thanks so much, Laura and Farron, for being on episode number one of our series. And I wanted to point out to the listeners that I've had the privilege of getting to know Laura and Farron over the last three plus years, and both have been big champions of female founders and diversity and insurance, along with developing uh, technology solutions that you're going to hear more about on today's episode. And I wanted to also point out that Laura is one of our winners of our Female Founders in Tech series in 2019 and the People's Choice winner. So virtual applause for Laura. And before we get into the topic of the hour, which is how COVID is really shaping uh, our uh, investments, our sales, our product strategies, I was curious why you each started your companies. Laura, if you want to give us the story, give us the history. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Jen. And, and thank you so much. And thank you for all of the uh, amazing work that you and Kesnay's uh, does. Um, so, you know, the idea for Stratify was very much born out of uh, our co-founding team being fascinated by how the brain makes decisions and looking to develop an approach that, that mimicked that methodology. So that's the, the early seedlings of Stratifier are very much born out of that passion. For me personally, I come from industry, I come from finance and, and had experienced the challenges of being a front office professional and actually having the technology and tools that I needed to be able to conduct business effectively and comply with the changing regulatory environment. So I was very passionate about starting a company at this intersection of business technology and regulation and uh, starting a company that had a really a commitment and a focus to giving access to, again, this technology and these tools and this visibility to a wider range of folks so that we can enable fairer outcomes for a more diverse group of people than what has unfortunately been the situation in our past. Yeah, and how do you go about the leveling sort of the playing field and, and weeding out that bias? I know some of the algorithms that you have developed and utilized have a, a very interesting way to do so. Yeah, thank you, Jen. Yeah, this is a huge problem in, in this industry. And in our opinion, many folks, I'll say, turn a blind eye to the issue and kind of take a, a if I don't look over there, I may not uh, see, uh, if you will, how, how I'm behaving badly. Um, and, and we believe that's absolutely not the way that, that this should be done. We think that transparency and understanding is how we solve these issues of bias and fairness. Um, exposing these to the user, our customer, showing them uh, how their model is unfairly biased in ways that they may not have realized. They often don't see it, but, but we can leverage advanced technology to expose those biases to the user, bring them to the forefront, and very importantly, give that user a way to mitigate that bias. So give that user something that they can do about it. We're, we're big fans of not just, uh, I'll say, exposing issues, but also exposing the ways to fix them. Can you give us an example of that? Absolutely. So what we find is that oftentimes bias creeps into a model via a correlated variable that folks may or may not know is correlated to a protected class. Most folks will not use any protected information as an input into their model, if you will. 
Now in insurance, there's certain places where you can, but broadly speaking, right, you're, you're not making a decision based on that information, but you could be making a decision based, based on correlated information. So what our system does is identify those, uh, if you will, patterns and those places in your model that are driving bias outcomes. So we're not just saying, oh, this variable is correlated to gender or race or ethnicity. We're actually saying this is the part of your model that is making your decisions, your outcomes be unfair, right? And because of the transparency of our approach, that user can then go proactively change that part of the model, right? Uh, mitigating that bias while sacrificing as little performance as possible. Well, that's, that's incredibly important, especially in the moment we're in in the United States. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, I would say it's been important for a while. I think that we've seen over the last few years, we've seen regulators and we've seen the media very much pay attention to this issue. Fundamentally, the data that we are often building models off of is biased, and that's a problem. Yeah. It is, Laura. You're solving some meaty challenges, so we can't wait to learn more as things develop on the platform. And I'd love to ask Farron the why. I know you have an interesting personal story and would love to share with the audience why you found Jerry. Yeah, no, thanks, Jen. Yeah, so previously I was at RGA, the world's third largest life and health reinsurer, and was helpful in standing up and founding RGAX, our innovation incubator, VC fund, M&A unit. So I was there as employee zero and grew that to 400 people. Wow. Yeah, and it's funny when we chat with a lot of our carrier partners, you know, the large names like, you know, Prudential, MetLife, et cetera, we'd always ask them, you know, what are the two biggest worries, right? Like from a business perspective. And then they'd say, number one, it's a pandemic, which, you know, we're all messy in. Uh, this one, I think, you know, from a balance sheet perspective, I think they'll be fine, at least from the first order impacts. And then the second thing they'd always worry about is long-term care, you know, longevity, all those factors, right? Pension funds are bankrupt, annuities, like, so it's just a mess. And so when I got reconnected with one of my friends and co-founder, Ajay Rajani, he was a, a co-founder at Tala, a micro mm -hmm. lending startup that has raised like $700 million or something insane like that. And then after leaving Tala, he was at AARP. And so very much a mission-driven founder. And him and I started jamming on how we could try to build something to address the long-term care issue. My personal story, apart from the professional side, is my dad, uh, he has dementia and was at a nursing home for the last three and a half years. And just trying to choose a community is super confusing, super stressful. A lot of bad actors, it's very opaque. And so, yeah, it was just a stressful situation. So we figured, can we try to solve that pain point that 8 million families are, are going through every year in the country? Yeah, I have a personal experience with that as well. And it's very complicated and there's no one there to help you. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, yeah, it's like it's a it's a very lonely time. And I think oftentimes the family's going through it for the first time. So it's very much a DIY experience. Very, very confusing. Very, very expensive. Like, I mean, financial ruin awaits everybody. Correct. And so and there's all this guilt and stigma and baggage that kind of exposes all these family cracks that have developed, you know, and there's an inversion of power where Typically, the children or some spouses are now taking over traditional family roles that, you know, have had decades to, to take place. So 
So yeah, it's a it's a terrible experience. And so that's why we we're trying to solve it. And even just finding the right information and then let alone knowing what to do with it and then organizing it is daunting for so many sort of second generation folks who may be working full time, they have their own families, and now they're trying to play quarterback to organize all of this. So how does how does Jerry help address some of that? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. So I mean, the biggest thing that we're doing is, you know, pairing a licensed expert, so a social worker or a geriatric RN with families. So they've been there before, and they have that empathy to, you know, really try to like understand what the family is going through, and then enough pattern recognition to try to like come up with a really good plan. And then on the backside, what we're building out is data assets to be able to ingest and personalize recommendations based off of whether the family wants to live at home, whether they're Medicaid or Medicare eligible, whether they want to be in Colorado versus Indiana, whether they want to be close to a church, or, you know, all of those factors that really pop up. Why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about COVID and uh, we'll go back to Laura over here. Let's talk about COVID and the pandemic and the quarantine that's been going on for all these past months. How did that affect your company? As a, as an intro tech startup, uh, a lot of times you're, you're more nimble, but a lot of times an in, in insured tech or a fintech in, in your case as well uh, may not be as prepared is that the case or talk a little bit about how all this affected your company and maybe your strategy? You know, global pandemics never come at a good time, I would say, <laughs> probably anybody. So uh, we were one of them, uh, I'll say. But to your point, Lee, you know, the fact that we are we are nimble, we are still small, these things end up being quite important during times like these. And we definitely leveraged those, I'll say, strengths to, mm-hmm. to compensate for, for some of the, the reasons that these things are challenging for startups. So, you know, for us, what we did right away is we offered our services free of charge for folks that we felt were, were particularly impacted by the crisis. So in particular, in our business, lenders, you know, were are obviously quite impacted and, and provide a very important role in our economy and our recovery. And we wanted to make sure that we were out in front of that doing whatever we could to enable an inclusive financial recovery. So so for us, I think the fact that we stepped up very quickly, I wouldn't call it a pivot. I think that's too dramatic. But we were very much out there saying, hey, we want to be part of the solution and we want to be helpful. We did that quickly. And I think that was very important uh, for us and has meant that we've actually seen sales cycles accelerate during this time, we're seeing more inbound interest than we have at any other point in time. We're seeing a lot of folks that, that were sitting on the sidelines be forced to act and forced to innovate. So all of those are really positive fuel for us and for a forward trajectory. Farron mentioned earlier about being a mission-driven company. Is that the case with you as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. We very much consider ourselves a mission-driven organization. You know, we often talk about it from a value standpoint. One of the things we're very focused on is is ensuring that our product is is in line with our values as a firm and that's how we we align around that and our values are around expanding access and around increasing inclusion. That's wonderful. Farron, during this time of, of COVID and the pandemic, I mean, nursing homes and, and medical care for the needed and, and elderly have been in the news. Talk about how it has impacted uh, 
uh, people search maybe for a, for a nursing home or medical help and, and kind of what all you did to help during this time period? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, you're seeing it in the news, like 50,000 deaths at senior living communities. And it's just, yeah, terrible, terrible, frightening stuff. So, I mean, kind of what we've done is, number one, focused on on our two platforms or our business. So we built out a data product that tracks outbreaks, you know, so again, collecting that information and comparing it against CMS star ratings as applicable. So the government ratings and trying to see if we could try to pull out information and best practices, whether that's proactively or, or predictive in a predictive sense. And then the second thing that we've done is built out an aging in place product. So pairing our licensed social workers with seniors to just help them with coming up a with a diagnostic and then a plan of care for, you know, helping them age in place um, and then offering that direct to consumer or direct to the family. Just because, yeah, as Laura was mentioning, it's it's such a bewildering time. There's the epidemic and then also there's the financial hardship, you know, that's coming through. Baron, I was wondering, during this time, so much media has has uh, spotlighted nursing homes and all that. Has there been information that has come to light that maybe was hidden for so long? You were talking about how uh, everybody, nobody really knows about finding a place for their loved one until they need to. Are there things that have come to light that people need to be looking at more closely than we originally thought? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think the challenge is a lot of senior living communities are are regulated by state entities. So each state has different rules. So it's very, very opaque. And then everyone was concerned about the acute care, so hospitals, mm-hmm. and ensuring that first responders there had PPE. But then I think what they didn't realize is that also a lot of these the 40,000, 50,000 senior living communities didn't have access to PPE, like they were recycling them, reusing them. I was talking to some facility directors and they had spent the equivalent of an extra $400 a month on PPE per unit, right? And the average price, so that's 10%, right? Like the average cost of a unit is $3,000 a month. So instantly they're just trying to scramble and get uh, PPE for for their oftentimes very low paid workers. So it's not so much that information was hidden, but I think it's just one of those things that, you know, similar to aging in the country, people just like to ignore and keep it out of mind. Yeah. For you, Farron, do you see in the landscape of senior care, you know, across the United States, COVID will be a turning point of what happens and how it goes forward. Like we were talking offline before about how many companies have been negatively affected financially and even gone out of business. What's it look like on the other side of this? It's going to be a whole different landscape, yes? Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, if I had that crystal ball, we have some ideas, but if I had certainty, I think, you know, that is the, you know, $4 trillion, you know, industry, particularly as boomers continue to age. Um but yeah, no, we built out a data product, um, as I was mentioning earlier, and that data product is tracking about three to four insolvencies from either in-home care agencies or senior living providers every single day. You know, like those are the notifications we're getting because occupancy is at historic lows. Move-ins have decelerated. Move-outs have accelerated. So this is a perfect storm. 
A lot of these communities, similar to commercial real estate, are levered and owned by REITs or other types of investment trusts, have underlying mortgages and debt obligations. And on top of that, they're not phenomenally um, capital efficient, you know, um, businesses because they still rely on a high degree of care. And so the the industry, I think, is up for a major, major upheaval. Laura, as the insurers and reinsurers quickly move to digital at the level of urgency due to working from home and trying to communicate with customers in a way that they had never done before, has COVID, in a sense, availed your company of more opportunity to help digitization and providing products to customers and and businesses? Yes, Jen, absolutely. What we've seen, you're absolutely right, this move to, to digital, it obviously was well underway, but it's definitely accelerated. And we're also seeing that enterprises, you know, insurers need, tools need technology that enables more effective communication between their various stakeholders, especially when it comes to things like automated decisioning, right, which is is where we are. So we're seeing a real, again, uptick in the value of transparency and the value of understanding across different stakeholders as people are more distributed and more remote. Having a, a model Let's just say that you're going to try to put into production that only a few people understand. It's just not going to happen now. It's just, it's, it's was really challenging before. I would argue it's much more challenging now. Also, the other thing that, that is very COVID related is that a lot of the data assets that people have, you know, people question their relevance going forward, which I think is right to question, right? And especially if we look at data from the last, call it 12 years. How do we make that data relevant to today and to tomorrow when the world's changing so dramatically? You know, we again believe that transparency, understanding, that's that's how you do it and helping folks do exactly that, right? Extract transparent insight, use their expertise and their assumptions to make it relevant for today and tomorrow. And we see that as hugely important right now. You know, I'd like to turn a little bit here and ask about the effects from the COVID pandemics on raising funds for for your companies. As co-founders and founders, you went through rounds of raising funds and and getting capital to run a company. I want to ask, what do you see the future as being? Do you think it'll be the same? Everybody will be able to raise the funds they need. Do you think people are going to ask different questions? Do you think it'll be harder? And let, let's start with Farron here. Farron, what do you think about insure tech companies that are now starting? What do you think it'll be like for them to raise capital? Yeah, no, I think it's definitely going to be much more challenging at the, let's call it the pre-seed and the seed round. You know, so being able to try to demonstrate any traction in terms of, you know, revenue or customers, I think the bar has just gone up significantly higher. Talking to our investors, so, you know, luckily we haven't had to raise. Um, so we're still in a relatively healthy position, have more than a couple of years of runway. Talking to our investors, I think what they're seeing is that, you know, they that valuations are starting to come down a bit by 10, 20%. They're in some surveys as well that like NFX is put out. And so, yeah, it's definitely going to be much more challenging. And there will be a flight to quality as well, you know. So, so right. I think the larger companies, you know. Luckily, you know, I was chatting with some folks, the, the stock market, you know, as of today is still doing well. So right. some of the impacts from the LP to fund commitment side 
isn't really playing out. So essentially, if stocks are really down, the fear might be that LPs would pull out of venture funds or maybe renege on capital calls. That hasn't really happened. So, so, so far, the ecosystem might be fine for the next, let's call it six months. I think the challenge will be whether or not investors will really want to meet, you know, or invest and write large checks with founders when they've only met them virtually, you know, which can be a challenge. So if you haven't had those pre-existing relationships or been being followed by a couple VCs, whether corporate or institutional, that'll just be that much harder for new founders to break in and raise funds. Laura, what, what do you think about this? Yeah, so I, I think I, I would agree with everything Farhan said. I mean, it's it's I, I think particularly, you know, following on on that last point, I do think that there is a real risk here that the that any strides we've made on expanding access to capital for a diverse set of founders uh, will be recoiled quickly. I think that's a, a big risk for exactly the reasons that uh, Farron mentioned, right? We'll kind of favor the more familiar, the more known, which which I think is something that, that we have to be uh, mindful of and, and focused on. I think, you know, uh, what, we, what we've seen is that investors care a lot more, and this started a bit with, I'll say, WeWork, but gone are the days of not talking about when you become cash flow positive. I mean, I would argue most of our investors always wanted to understand that. But mm-hmm. um, if there were investors that didn't want to, that's that's extraordinarily important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Laura. And that's certainly a concern that there is a step back versus forward in terms of investing in, in diverse founders and founders that may not look or sound like you as an investor. So We'll have to all do our part to to keep that progress moving forward. I guess to wrap up on our last question here, are you bullish or bearish on the future of fintech as we look forward in general? I'll start. I'm very bullish, talking my own book, of course, but very bullish. You know, if we look back at the last crisis, because uh, that's the most recent example we have, quite a few of, of really amazing businesses were started out of those times. So I think that this is a, a time of opportunity and, and a time of change. Yeah. And for InsureTech, I'm, I'm very, very bullish. I mean, because I think this is the forcing function for the incumbents, right? Like the large BGAs, MGAs, insurers. I remember I was talking to a large, like a very, very large annuity carrier just before the pandemic hit. Uh, you know, so let's call it early March. And they're talking about how they didn't have VPN access for the entire company, right? Like it was only wow. <laughs> strategically critical roles and that person in innovation wasn't strategically critical. And I think those things get sorted out very, very quickly, you know, by force, the fact that it's lasted two months. So, so I think this is a good compressant. And so coming out of this, carriers or incumbents, like whether brokers, TPAs, large entities will need to just absorb some more innovation. And I think that's where the insured tax can be really nimble and, and offer to partner up and, and help sustain some of those uh, transformations that have been forced on everybody. Well, we really appreciate you two being with us today on our first episode here in this series that we're doing. And always one of the most complicated things that we have is there's more questions than there is time. So uh, I think we'll just take it to this point here and um, express our gratitude and appreciation to Laura Kornhauser from Stratify and Fern Blank from Jerry. Thanks again, you all, and come back and see us again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we want to thank you all for listening today. 
Along with FNO InsureTech and Kisne, we want all of our listeners to be aware of an exciting competition that's coming up that Kisne puts on, and that's the female founders of InsureTech. Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? When is this going on, and, and when does it end? Thanks, Lee. So the Female Founders and InsureTech Innovation Competition and Mentorship Program runs from June 17th all the way through to September 21st. We have a three-month process during which entrepreneurs can apply by July 26th online. And then between July 31st and August 9th, those applicants are scored by industry leaders uh, from around the world. Between August 17th and September 11th, the entrepreneurs prepare for their pitch and they are mentored by a number of different experts in the industry. On September 21st, those top five finalists selected by the judges will actually present to a live audience and the top three winners will be selected. That sounds so exciting. Well, everybody listening, I hope that you can look that up and uh, see if there's any way that you can be a part or just keep your eyes out for the winners. And please join us next week for episode number two, which will be a carrier focus. And with that, we can say goodbye, everybody.